Oh, I bet you it was competing. There we go. Oh, I can use this. All right. So tonight, after our Christmas Eve evening service, we have some light snacks in there for everybody, too. So you can go home and put together your Legos or dollhouses or just go take a nap without having to worry about making supper. So would you stand with me as we read our scripture passage this morning from Isaiah 9, 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You can have a seat. Well, when our kids were younger, we used to take a lot of road trips with our big black van. And there was one question that our kids were not allowed to ask. They knew what the rule was. They were not allowed to ask, are we there yet? Because if we're driving, right, we're not there. Well, for millennia, for thousands of years, God's people have waited for the Prince of Peace. And in Genesis 3.15, we have seen the seed of the woman was promised. And for thousands of years, leading up to the time of Isaiah, God's people were waiting for the arrival of the Prince of Peace. And these words were 700 years before Jesus would arrive on the scene at his birth. And so generation after generation, God's children asked the question, are we there yet? Tomorrow morning, we will celebrate the arrival of this Prince of Peace. Isaiah showed us, as we've seen in this series, our need for the Prince of Peace. He has shown us the undertaking of the Prince of Peace. We have seen his nature and also the faithfulness of the Prince of Peace that we saw last week when Marty was here. And this morning, and again this evening, we will see and celebrate that he has Arrived. God is faithful, friends, to meet our greatest need in sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you turn a little bit forward in your Bibles from Isaiah, we're going to spend the bulk of our time, or the rest of our time, in Matthew chapter 1. You're probably familiar with it. We, we find a genealogy of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that this is the first New Testament account of the arrival of the Prince of Peace. Matthew 1 starts with these words. 
We won't read the whole genealogy, but it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph. Now skip down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So this genealogy shows us that God meets our greatest need in the sending of His own Son. God always keeps His promises. If you were to turn back one page to the last chapter of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, it was a coming day of the Lord that Israel was waiting for. The end of their hope and the arrival and their longing for the day of the Messiah's arrival. So are we there yet? The answer for us today is yes. God's not like a parent who just gives his kids false promises to make them stop asking the question or giving them false assurances so they leave him alone. Just around a few more corners, kids. No, God is a good father and he always keeps his promises because he is always faithful. And in mentioning in this genealogy, David, as well as Abraham, our attention should turn to two big strands, two key lines, two important people in the history of the people of Israel. Abraham is a reminder of God's choice, saving a people for himself by his grace, in spite of their sin. And David is that promised king who will have an heir to rule forever and reign and deliver God's people from their oppression as a consequence of sin. Isaiah is and has assured God's people. He has assured us, as we've seen over the last few weeks, that this king will reign and his reign will never end. Israel needed a balance of looking out that front windshield, but also looking behind them to see what God has done. They needed a reminder to look out the front of the windshield, to look for and long for this king's arrival, but also looking behind them to see the record of God's faithfulness always meeting their needs. And friends, we need the same thing, don't we? Advent reminds us every single year God is faithful to meet our greatest need. 
In Genesis 3.15, God promised after the fall that curses would be laid out, that ramifications of the fall would be had for all people, but that enemy won't rule forever because God had a plan. This is what he says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Friends, the cries of are we there yet are over. God preserved the seed of the woman to crush the head of his greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death. And person after person in this genealogy in Matthew points to the restoration of what was lost in the fall and the preservation of the seed of the woman. From the calling to Abraham to the choosing of David to the arrival of God's own son, it points to who arrives on Christmas morning. The second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, he is the one who meets our greatest need. In this genealogy, if you're familiar with the storyline of Scripture, you see that it is filled with highs and lows. You have highs that include Abraham's call to leave Ur and to go to a different land, or Boaz's care of Ruth. Or David's mighty victories. But you also see lows, the events like Rehoboam's division of the two into two kingdoms. Or David's adultery. Or David's murder. Or the deportation of the entire nation to Babylon. But in spite of the unfaithfulness of God's people, God remains faithful. He promised a king in 2 Samuel 7, and this king would be God himself, always faithful, never failing, because God is faithful to keep his promises by sending his son to meet our greatest need. And God himself arrived about 2,000 years ago in the birth of Jesus, Messiah. And Adam, Abraham, David, and Jesus could easily summarize all of the scriptures, where in Adam all fall short of the glory of God, where in Abraham God declares those who have faith righteous, in David God rules and reigns and promises a deliverer, and in Jesus God restores and saves, fulfilling all of those promises. And so are we there yet? Yes, we are. But in the middle of this genealogy, at the highs and lows, we have some unlikely candidates. Did you see the four women mentioned? Verse 2, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah which we know is Bathsheba. When we recount presidents of the United States, we go like George Washington was first, John Adams second, Thomas Jefferson third. We don't add, well, Dolly Madison was the wife of the fourth president, James Madison, or Eleanor was his mother. No, we don't, we just remember those presidents, right? Why does Matthew add these four women's name? I think they're because they're unlikely candidates, just like you and I, for greatness. If you're familiar with the story of these women, many of them had a 
sexual past. Tamar seduced her father-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute, we see. Bathsheba was an adulteress. They had a past. But they're also Gentiles. Rahab was a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba was a Hittite. And they are all in the genealogy of Jesus Mespai. In spite of their deficiencies, these women are tenaciously loyal to God and are part of God's plan to keep His promises. Like all of us, men and women, these four ladies are unlikely candidates for acclaim. They bring nothing to the table for God to use them, to save them. Yet God employs them to play a pivotal role in preserving the seed of the Messiah. They are part of God's testimony of faithfulness in spite of His people's testimony of continued unfaithfulness. We've all broken God's commands. We've violated His rules. We have sinned against Him. And still, God is faithful, promising through Abraham and David, Jesus Christ, to save His people for God's own possession when we don't deserve it. If we believe the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we become part of this testimony, this living testimony, this living genealogy of God's faithfulness. I was reading an article this week, and it said, Because of Christ, we join this list of a genealogy as witnesses. With His birth, or sorry, His birth makes full the course of Israel's history and ours. It confirms the stories of every name that helped bring forth the one with the greatest name. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This genealogy beautifully puts a bow on this sermon series that we've been going through in Isaiah chapter 9. And we get to celebrate that this son, this Prince of Peace, has arrived. Look at verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so tomorrow morning, when you wake up, Consider these truths. Consider that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ arrived to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to rise victoriously from the dead so that you and I might be at peace with God if we believe the gospel. 
the good news. Mary and Joseph were legally under contract with one another to be married. And having a mysterious pregnancy, Joseph was a just man. He didn't want to have shame on himself, and he didn't want to even shame her. So quietly, he wanted to break off the engagement. Joseph had his plans, but God had other plans. Joseph didn't understand the divine origins of this child. And so God needed to step into the story. While Joseph was unable to do anything of his own, he was sleeping. God met him through an angel in his dream. In his grace, God takes some time to communicate to Joseph the greater story that is taking place in the pregnancy of his engagement or in his soon-to-be bride. And Matthew stresses the fulfillment of God's promises with these words from Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Where we considered some of the names of God a few weeks ago, where Emmanuel means God with us, that God would dwell in peace with his people. Wonderful counselor pointing to the Spirit's work to bring a new creation like God did in his first creation. Or mighty God and everlasting Father that he's powerful and capable as something only God could orchestrate because he is a good father. That he's Prince of Peace. He is the King himself, the Son of God who would be called Jesus Messiah, which means Jesus, rather, Jesus' name means the Lord saves. In Matthew chapter 1, we'll wrap up our series as God shows us his faithfulness to meet our greatest need by sending of his son to save his people from their sins. Where in this culture, names held a much more uh, important factor in that culture than ours. Names then pointed to one's character, one's nature, and even one's destiny. All those names I just recounted, as we saw in a few weeks ago, is depicting one God, a son with two natures, truly God and truly man, and all three members of the Trinity to bring about yours and my salvation. And when Jesus has arrived in this little town of Bethlehem, that arrival shouldn't be our main focus. We should not, excuse me, we should not neglect the significance of the role the Son plays in executing God's faithfulness. God's focus is on God's faithfulness to meet our greatest need and sending of His Son. And so I have a question. Are you there yet? Do you believe this? As we consider God's faithfulness, what about your faithfulness? Allow Mary and Joseph to be an example to follow. Mary accepted her role as the mother of Jesus. Joseph accepted his role of coming alongside her and leading her. Like those four women that we mentioned in the genealogy, they're unlikely candidates to preserve the seed of the woman, fulfilling, fulfilling God's plan to save his people, you and me. 
from our sin. Galatians 4 said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Friends, Jesus was born to redeem. We mustn't forget that. We must, for, we must not forget the connections that God has for us through His Son from Christmas morning to Good Friday evening and Easter Sunday. Born of a woman doesn't mean that sin only transmits through men. Mary was a sinner. We'll see that this evening with a sinful nature. The emphasis is on God's work by the Spirit, and that assures us and ensures that human nature of Jesus was holy and without corruption so that he might be an appropriate substitute for you and for me. When Jesus took on flesh, he did so in order to live a perfect life that we couldn't live, to die a sinner's death that we deserve to die so that he might rise from the dead to give us a life that we don't deserve. He cancels our record of debt and also transfers his righteousness upon us to meet our greatest need. That's what Advent is all about. God being faithful to save a people for himself. So are you there yet? Matthew's genealogy teaches us that this is more than just a list of names. If you are there... If you believe, this is an example of faithfulness, trusting God's word over what seems completely absurd, outrageous, and difficult to follow. And so let's continue to be faithful, even in the midst of hard and challenging things that are before us. God is faithful, so we can be faithful like Mary and Joseph. In spite of our millions of questions, our response can be what Mary says in Luke's gospel, I am the Lord's servant. This child was given the name Jesus Christ, or Jesus Messiah, the promised king to save his people from their sins. And God is faithful, church, so we can be faithful. So are you there yet? On top of our effort, or on top of this faithfulness that we give ourselves to, we can put forth effort, not as earning anything, but as a response to what has already been earned for us. On top of faithfulness, friends, we can be driven to worship. We consider our lowly estate and God's choosing of us. We should worship Him. We worship Him, we follow Him, we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you aren't there yet, or you're just not sure if you can be faithful in worship, now is the greatest time as any to believe and to repent. Before you take your last breath or Jesus returns, consider God's commands to repent. We'll see this in a few weeks as we continue in our series in Acts. In Acts 17, He actually calls, God calls every single one of us to repent. Acts 17, 30 and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. My appeal to you, Christian, 
to live in light of God's faithfulness, to worship Him. He took care of our greatest need. He can take care of the other needs that we have. Even everything the world throws at us. We need not worry. We need not fret. But we can be joyfully submitted to Him as He's revealed in the Word. It might not seem like it all the time, but He does have our best interest in mind. And finally, because we have the greatest news in the history of the world, we can tell others about it. We can go, as we'll sing soon, tell it on the mountain. We're transformed by God's faithfulness where we worship Him because of His grace and we get the marvelous privilege of being His spokesperson to a lost and dying world around us. We get to share the good news with others. There's a lost and dying world around us and we have the cure for their sin in the message of the gospel. God's faithfulness to meet our greatest need and sending of His Son for salvation for those who would believe it. Folks around us, maybe some who would even join you this weekend for a meal, they're not there yet. You've been given the great privilege of sharing with them how to get there in believing the gospel. I saw this, I couldn't help but share it and consider this in light of God's faithfulness to you. Jesus left glory for shame, heaven for earth, exaltation for humility, a throne for a tree, dignity for debasement, worship for wrath, halls of heaven to nails in his hand, a crown to a curse. In eternity, he was motherless with his father. Upon earth, he's fatherless, laid on a woman's chest after his birth. In a stable by cattle wrapped in poverty, no place for him who made and knows all places. His descent was down of mercy because we cannot ascend to him. He descended to us. When we look at Matthew's genealogy, it has a past, it has a present, but it also has a future. And tonight we'll consider how that drives us to worship. And Jesus, we're now brought into his family, into this genealogy. And Abraham and David, they become our forefathers. This is our family tree that we just saw in Matthew chapter 1. And we get to follow along these footsteps and walk in faithfulness and worship together. This genealogy in Matthew 1 is deliberate. And it shows us that God is faithful to keep His promises, to meet our greatest need by sending of His Son. That's who we worship during Advent. That's who we've been preparing this last month to see and to worship and so we'll do that again with a couple more songs as we finish up our time this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your abundant grace and mercy. We thank you that 
you created us to worship and in spite of our lack of desire or ability to worship you made it possible for us to worship you by sending your son to live a perfect life to die a sinner's death to rise to give us a newness of life and God now we are at peace with you because of our Lord Jesus Christ as Paul would say Father, we thank you for that. God, we ask that you would help us with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love you, to worship you, but also to love others, to tell others about it, to encourage one another in the church, to proclaim the gospel to those outside the church. And you would give us all the ability and the grace to believe it and to live in light of that. So we thank you, we praise you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.